This is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast series brought to you by the online Master of Science, PhD, and Graduate Certificate Program in Palliative Care at the University of Maryland. I am delighted to welcome you to our podcast series titled Founders, Leaders, and Futurists in Palliative Care, a series I have recorded with Connie Dolan to support coursework in the PhD in Palliative Care offered by the University of Maryland, Baltimore. Hello, this is Lemmy Fierson, and I'm the Program Director at the University of Maryland, Baltimore for the Graduate Certificate, Master of Science, and the PhD in Palliative Care. This is part of our podcast series on founders, leaders, and futurists in palliative care. And of course, I'm joined in this activity by Dr. Connie Dolan, and we're very excited about our guest today, aren't we, Connie? Would you like to introduce our guest? Yes, I am very thrilled to introduce Dr. Christine Polchowski, who many of you have read about probably in terms of thinking about the spirituality in healthcare, but has been really important in um, palliative care. She is at the George Washington Institute for Spirituality and Health. Um, Again, you may have heard it as G-Wish. Um, She has really been pushing this consensus part about spirituality, which we know she'll talk about. And she's also the author of Time for Listening and Caring, Spirituality and the Care of the Seriously Ill and Dying, which she wrote, co-authored with Betty Farrell. Um, And so what we're really intrigued about for today is first having you, you can introduce us and tell us more things that you want people to know. But I think of this whole integration, um, because I think we take it for granted of this spirituality uh, place, given sort of, you know, the religious connotation going way back of hospice, but also knowing that Cicely Saunders was incredibly religious. Um, And just sort of this part about, you know, where we are today and bringing that. So welcome, and I'm going to let you start. Well, thank you very much. It's nice to be here with both of you and also with the, the uh, congratulations on the program you're developing. I think that's incredibly important as we build further new leaders in, in palliative care. It's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so where am I with uh, spirituality? Well, just in terms of with palliative care, um, I, uh, reflecting on some of the questions that you uh, sent to me, I did um, start at a time before this was a field. And I was very uh, blessed to be um, assigned, if you will, to Dr. Joanne Lynn and Joan Tino at the Center to Improve Care of the Dying, which was at that time at George Washington University. And that was in the 90s. And uh, had just finished my um, fellowship in primary care and, uh, and joined the geriatrics division. And they and was already doing a lot of work on spirituality for a number of years. I started that when I was a medical student and went through uh, with that in residency. And I think they didn't quite know where to put me. And so why not with Dr. Joanne Lynn and Dr. Joan Tino? And that was an amazing place to start. Mm -hmm. So I was very privileged to get involved very early on in their work around geriatrics and palliative care and hospice. And as a result, um, was involved in one of the groups with our Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. That was a huge foundation that should be and is often credited, as well as others such as Soros for developing the field of palliative care. And, um, And I was involved in a group that actually was interested in spirituality and we were looking at communication around palliative care, communication around spirituality, why that's important. So that's just my background in coming into it this way. But I've been interested in in, um, spiritual health long before palliative care started being discussed as a field. I think that spiritual health is an important area of whole person care. You mentioned a book with Betty Farrell that was actually Making Healthcare Whole that uh, Betty and I um, co-edited and it's based on 
uh, work that we did in 2009 in developing uh, consensus guidelines on improving the spiritual domain, the quality of the spiritual domain in palliative care. And that's been a, um, uh, that was a very seminal moment, I think, in the field of palliative care in terms of looking at how we should in integrate attention to spiritual care and not just physical symptoms and emotional and social symptoms. So when I started this work um, in spirituality and health, uh, as I said, it was before the beginning of the field of, of palliative care. And uh, my interest really was in recognizing that we are more than just physical beings. You know, we have an emotional side, we have a social side, we have a spiritual side. And I felt that this, you know, total care model of physical, emotional, social, and spiritual was really important. And in researching that a little bit more, of course, I came across Dr. Cecily Saunders' work on total pain and that concept of the biopsychosocial spiritual model. So years later, as I um, moved to see how I could advance this field of spiritual care, it was only a natural partnership and alliance with palliative care because that already was a required domain in that field, in that evolving field, even before it became a field. So, um, you know, when we, when we think of uh, what is spirituality, you mentioned religion or is it spirituality? Cecily Saunders was religious. I think she also talked about it in a broad sense of the, of the word. Spiritual, we're all spiritual beings. Um, and you know, every, um, I don't know if, if you know Jane Goodall, but she was recently awarded the Templeton Prize for her work. And I had, when it, in, before I went to medical school, I worked at NIH, so I, I got to hear her presentation at the Clinical mm -hmm. Center at NIH, amazing person. And you know, she actually talked about accompanying her chips, chimps through their end of life. So she talked of one chimp that was dying who was up in the tree and you know, she, the way she spoke about it afterwards, I, I talked to her and she was very clear that this there's this um, domain or this essence of life that is in, in everyone, in animals as well as people. And um, she has a beautiful description of that in her acceptance speech of this recent Templeton Award. And, and I, I like to think of spirituality in that broad transcendent way. Eric Casal talks about transcendence as being deeply spiritual, but not necessarily religious. Um, he's a medical ethicist and, and I, I, I see spirituality in that way. And I think many of us that are in this field look at that inner life, what is it within us? And for some people, it may be religious. For other, it may be expressed in relationships or art or music or something that is hard to put words on. But I think it's, which of course makes it very challenging for those of us that are physicians and like to have things easily defined, but uh, it's not easily defined. But it is, I think, something that is such an essential part of who we are as human beings. And within the clinical setting, if we have distress in that domain, if you will, spiritual distress, it's it's significant and it can be incredibly disruptive to a person's life. And so when we talk about the very nature of palliative care is to be present to others, to take care of their whole care, their biopsychosocial spiritual model is what is based on. So to take care of that whole part of the person, we would be remiss in not addressing the spiritual domain, spiritual distress as well as spiritual health. So, you know, it's interesting because I think um, as, as I've been doing some reading and, um, you know, just in my practice, it is interesting um, that we think that's really important. And depending on where you are in the country, um, you know, how we address that is very different. Being in New England, it's very different than, say, in the South. Um, 
and then I think this this other part um, because we have we've interviewed two chaplains, and I think this part about understanding how important ritual is, but then understanding that you know there's this interesting part happening of the number of people who are quote unchurched. Um, and then still the number of people who, if they're in a religious, a religious affiliation, that that actually um, makes it harder for them sometimes. I'm not quite, what makes it harder for them? Um, that um, I think it's Tracy Balboni's work of looking at the, with peoples have a high religiosity in fact, sometimes they can have a harder time with coming to terms with this end of life and trying to make sense of it. So, you know, I just think it's it's really interesting because you would think about if people are unchurched, well, maybe they're adrift and they can't come to terms with it and people with religion would be, you know, more comforted, except for then some of the work of, you know, if you're more churched, then how do you make sense of um, it, of kind of conforming to some of the part? I mean, so it's just interesting and that's probably more theological, but um, I find that all of that just intriguing, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis in practice. So I, um, I think the concept of extrinsic versus intrinsic religiosity may um, help frame my answer to your question. That we all may, if we happen to be religious, there's an extrinsic aspect of that. Our, um, our attendance at faith communities, um, whether we pray or not, or meditate, and how frequently, you know, those, those types of more external measures. But how we integrate our understanding of God or religion or our faith is very personal and um, is very internal. And I think that's what aligns with the spirituality broadly defined um, area. So we can get stuck at a, a, um, an identification at, at, at a label. You know, we can, we can say, well, this person, and this often ha happens in the miracle discussions. Uh-oh, they're religious and the end of life discussion is gonna be difficult, which, what does that mean? You know, so I, I think if we try to move beyond that label, if I've, I'm doing a spiritual history and someone tells me that they're Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist or, you know, Christian, I, I certainly wanna know what, what that means to them. And it's often in that second or third question that it's, it's how do I understand my meaning in, in my life? Um, how do I understand that vis-a-vis well, -vis my, my religion or my cultural background or what is going on with me right now? So this is where we need to move into that, uh, those deeper conversations with people. And that's what's so exciting about how uh, it, we're developed, we have developed, of course, Betty and I on interprofessional spiritual care education curriculum. And part of when I developed that, I, we were you know, thinking about how do we, um, we had a module on communication, which of course has to do with spiritual history, but I added a module on compassionate presence because when we move into talking around these areas of meaning and purpose or very, very, very deep suffering, we are not, unlike pain, physical pain management, there's not something that we can quickly fix, right? So, so we have to be prepared to be present in what may be very uncomfortable for us to listen to, by the way, um, and resist our very nature to try to make people better because there's nothing wrong with trying to make people better, but in those areas, those deeply personal areas, the best thing we can do is to be silent and intently silent and really present to someone and listen to their story. And then maybe using some skills around contemplative listening, maybe ask something that might help the person deepen their story 
but not ours. It's not an agenda-driven part. And this is, I think, where those types of questions around how do people, religious people or non-religious people understand, I, I, I don't want to say it's irrelevant, it's not irrelevant, but the story often is at a very, very, very deeper level. Um, and, and that's where I think we want to be with, with our patients. It's, it's also about um, letting people know that we're there during their time of deepest angst, um, as well as joy. But that's, that, that I think is what's so in, incredibly important about interprofessional spiritual care and how we, all of us on the team, practice that art of deep listening and presence. Um, we should recognize how to identify and diagnose spiritual distress. And then as you mentioned, working with chaplains as the experts in that area is critically important. Well, and it's an interesting thing because I think um, I've, been focused in the last day or so of this um, difference between communication skills and a clinical encounter. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to be a clinician to kind of understand that difference. But, you know, I think what you speak to Dr. Pekowski is this part about being present and really that means also some emotional intelligence, right? That somebody says something, we explore it and we go forward, but it may not be a set script. And I find that is an interesting place right now, particularly with COVID, because I think with urgency, we needed to teach people some skill sets. So we gave them some rules, right? And that's okay for like basic level, but that doesn't translate to some of the more complexity, which I'm trying to have this conversation with somebody about, what we're really trying to teach, and, and you are even mentioning it more, is emotional intelligence, but even this spirituality intelligence, right? Of um, not that we may not fix it and we might just be present in that difficult time. And I don't think, I still think a lot of palliative care clinicians don't know how to sit in that space. Yeah, and you know, as you're talking, I was reflecting on the questions you had about what are the challenge, you know, the, the beginning of this field, where we are now, and what are the challenges. So I will tell you, and I think it's I think it's what I heard you say, that we equipped people, you know, we so for example, the FICA tool is a way to talk about spirituality, but hopefully you integrate that. One integrates that into the way they they talk with patients so they don't all of a sudden say, whoops, I got to stop talking about this and now I'm going to talk about spirituality, but it should be a seamless flowing conversation, right? right. And, and what I think of as the strength of palliative care, and I've said this from the beginning, and I don't know that it's totally popular way to say it, but I think it's just good care in general. It's a model of the way that our, you know, people older than us have practiced medicine back in the day where you just, you have a relationship with your patient for whatever period of time. If it's 15 minutes, if it's an hour, if it's 10 years. Now I have patients that I've seen for many, many years and I have patients that I've just met today and I'm going to begin the relationship today, but you, you really sit in a space with that other person for whatever time. And um, while you may have some communication skills that you've learned, um, it, it's not that you pull out of your head or on a chart, oh, now I got to ask these questions, but you have to go, you have to follow your patient's lead. So you're in a conversation and they may bring up something that sounds like spiritual distress or emotional distress. And then you you know what kind of questions to ask to explore that further. But, um, but 
what I would hope for palliative care is that we move beyond some of these. And, you know, we're in a struggle right now because we have to have metrics and things like that that show the efficacy of what we're doing. And that's important. But I hope we move beyond that to just recognizing the importance of the whole person care, the relationship, sitting in front of another together in uncertainty, which is was a huge lesson last year with COVID, is again right now with COVID, but how do we sit with another in uncertainty and try to tease out together what are the main issues that we need to address in that particular visit, right? Connie, you're muted. You're still muted. I did it too fast, sorry. Um, you brought up something that I think is also really interesting and it's this, um, Part that we know what is this um, deep level of assessment and, and really trying to figure out where the patient is and then having metrics that don't capture that and to the next level, having administrators who sometimes may say they value that, but then when we do it, um, they're like, why are you spending so much time, right? This whole thing about RVUs and I find that fascinating. So I just would love to hear your conversations that you've had with your administration, knowing that they know you're the expert on this and that this is such an important part of our care. You know, I don't have a quick answer on that because it's a work in progress. I think, um, you know, you have to think about the various stakeholders in these conversations, right? So there's the administration that's gonna be looking at dollars, which is we can't be doing everything for free. I understand that completely. So how do we frame, and, and um, CAPC, Diane Meyer and others have done an incredible job of framing what palliative care does in a way that also speaks to all those audiences. So I don't, you know, you don't need to recreate the wheel, but in terms of spiritual care, that's, we're at that point right now of trying to frame those conversations. I don't have exact answers. You know, certainly, um, patient satisfaction and alleviating, if we can show that that our interventions alleviate suffering, that's, that's crucial. Um, and, and if we can show that uh, the efficacy of each member on the team in, in doing this, I think that's important. But where we are right now in spiritual care is sort of where palliative care was many years ago. We're, we're at that point of developing demonstration projects in this area. And what does that look like? And having more and more people involved, it's when I started this, very few people were involved in, in spiritual care. And now there's people all over the world that are doing things. So let's begin to think about demonstration projects or piloting some of these ideas and seeing where that goes in terms of uh, models that people can use in, in palliative care and clinical practice. I will say to broaden this, that spiritual care is not just within palliative care, it's within all of care. So I'm working with a colleague. She uh, took one, she took our ISPIC course last year and she's going like gangbusters at Columbia in looking at spiritual care within primary care. Um, so, you know, one of my thoughts within when there's a question about what do I think the future holds for palliative care, you know, honestly, if we are super successful at the generalist palliative care, why did palliative care start? You know, there are many reasons, but the support study was clearly one of them. People dying in pain and not having their goals of care, right, addressed or anything around that. So I think palliative care has been incredibly successful in both of those points. Um, and, and so now, you know, what 
what if palliative care really becomes successful and we train generalists and you know pain is well managed, other symptoms are managed, uh, everybody's addressing the important issues, in, including the spiritual issues, that would be ultimately success, right? Spiritual distress is attended to emotional um, distress, you know, social, physical pain, all of that is, addre is addressed. That is, those are really the goals of palliative care. And, and that, that all clinicians are able to navigate those conversations around end of life care, around goals of care. And they're messy conversations, right? We're still at a point where I think we're not always integrating spiritual and religious um, beliefs and values into those conversations, by the way, the goals of care conversations, but we're getting better at it, I think, as a society. Um, but we have a, a long way to go. And, and I think once we get to that point, um, in, and, you know, as we succeed, I, I don't know, will palliative care be obsolete because we've, we've been able to train everyone and I'm being very Pollyanna because I think there'll always be a need for palliative care. But I'm just trying to drive the point home of what is the reason that palliative care got started. Uh, we have addressed many of those issues. One of the still to be addressed better is spiritual distress. We all have to work on that. And to your point, yes, we need more research and we need, need more metrics around that so that all those audiences can recognize what we already know is important. Do you think we're doing an adequate job in our professional schools of medicine, nursing, pharmacy, social work to prepare people in that primary palliative care role in the aspects of spirituality? I don't think we're as good at those levels. Nursing, I think we are. And largely that's thanks to Dr. Betty Farrell and her colleagues. And you know, I'm, I'm limited in what I know what nursing school does, but I can see the Elnick program and others. I think we could do much better in, in, uh, in medical school and in other professional schools. I think that's a huge area. I do think that we're beginning to do better at training the generalists or at least um, having, for example, primary care doctors I know who are very well palliative care and are trying to practice these principles. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think there's certainly a need in education, mm -hmm. but I, I think we're doing better in all those areas. I mean, don't, don't you think there is? I do think we're doing better. I was surprised about a year ago, we took our 17 year old poodle, miniature poodle to the vet and she brought up, have you ever heard of the term palliative care? I'm like, and my husband's like, oh God, don't get her started. <laughs> But yeah, now, it's permeated event care now. <laughs> there is. I mean, it was um, so about, I would say, four or five years ago, a new specialty within veterinary medicine yes, started on palliative care. And yeah. But many years ago, now would be about 10 or 12 years ago that I took my cat to the vet and they actually asked about her goals of care. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I sat there and I said, I need to have a medical student here with me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and they also have done a better job. I mean, I've had to put down several animals and, you know, they're sending you a bereavement card, right? Because they yeah. know for some people, so they've got that down. You know, I think the other part that's really interesting is, um, you know, I always worry about um, the spiritual part sort of being put on the chaplain of the team, but yet they're part of the team, right? And so trying to make sure that they are not having to take care of the team too much because they need to be part of that team. But then the other part is like, what is the there's been such a variation and I just had this conversation um, because every chaplain I have worked with has been excellent and can have goals of care conversations probably better than the clinicians because exactly what you're talking about, they can get into that spiritual part and get into those values. And it was really funny because somebody said, well, that's out of their scope of practice. And I'm like, what? I mean, really? No, I don't think so. Because I also have had situations where you know, I might be with the patient's family and having one conversation and the, the chaplain has been with the patient and 
does a wonderful job um, and, and is actually the key to this success. And so it's really interesting, I think about the labels we put on to people when we get into the spiritual realm, because I think the flip side also is, you know, I work at a community hospital. We don't, our chaplain department isn't as strong as it could be, but, um, you know, some of the nurses are comfortable to a point, but then it's like, it's like one question of like, well, what do I do with the spirituality piece? And then they'll be like, okay, now we need a chaplain rather than sort of the next question being, you know, tell me what you mean by that. You know, what are you looking for? And, and so I don't know if it's the discomfort because I will speak for the nurses, you know, we like to fix things and we like to tie things up in boxes. And so it might be hard for people to kind of sit with that, but I just, you know, I, I almost feel like all of us need to go through, through CPE or something so that we all feel comfortable and can support our colleagues in a better way. So I have a, thought, a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, um, yes, chaplains should be involved in goals of care conversations, but part of the goals of care conversation is also prognosis and being able to convey that. So I think ideally it's done jointly or there are separate conversations, but you know, um, but I think when we think about what, what would success look like in terms of spiritual care within palliative care? Well, um, and it's also true of care in general, but let's stay with palliative care, um, that every team would have a chaplain as well as a nurse, a doctor, a social worker, play therapist, et cetera, whatever the context is in, right? Uh, that everybody on the team would address spiritual issues and not just uh, chaplain dump, which is I think what you were sort of uh, alluding to, George Hanzo once said, we don't want chaplain dumping, we actually want you guys to do something, right? So we we are there, you know, we, we can, we're human beings, we're bright, we can, we can have conversations with our patients, we should be able to assess for spiritual distress. So it involves knowledge. I think we need much more training, hence our interprofessional spiritual care education curriculum, ISPEC program, to train clinicians on how to do this in their practice. But all clinicians should do that and all clinicians should be involved in getting, uh, including a spiritual question within goals of care discussion as well as cultural and other kinds of questions. But we have to recognize, and I think this is where um, we're, we in, in spiritual care are trying to do what palliative care did, is palliative care um, was successful because of, I think, two major areas. One was training, training the workforce, and the other was the demonstration projects and eventual pilot research projects and developing the research in the field. So it's true for spiritual care within palliative care or within care in general as well. We need training to know how to do this as clinicians. We also need to know when to refer to a chaplain and when not. We need to know how to refer to a chaplain. And a part of that is we need to advocate with our hospital systems to have chaplaincy. Not all, my hospital included, does not have what I think is an adequate chaplaincy program. So we need to make sure that the chaplain on the palliative care team is not just 10% of the palliative care team, but is fully part of the palliative care team and has time to be fully integrated. So that when we say spiritual care is fully integrated, it means that at every team meeting it's addressed, that in rounds it's addressed, that the hospital makes um, you know, adequate provision for adequate chaplaincy, not just one per team, but whatever the size of the hospital is or the services. Um, and, that, and that all the clinicians are trained in how to do this at least at a, at a level one uh, 
you know, course. So our, our iSpec course, there is a train the trainer because we want to train people to go back and train others, but they don't go back with nothing. They have an online iSpec course like ELNIC. It's very, it's modeled after the ELNIC program. So there is at least an online course that clinicians can take. And our goal is to bring chaplains and clinicians together to these train the, train the courses to do what I just said, that the train, that the to go back, the clinician chaplain go back to be leaders in their setting. And, and that sends a very strong message about the importance of both sides of the team, the generalist spiritual care professionals, us, and the expert, which is the specialist, which is the chaplain. So I think, you know, within spiritual care, we have a long way to go. I think palliative care in general is way ahead of us and we're following their example in terms of how to, how to create a field and how to do what's necessary. And, uh, and I think palliative care is an incredible example of educating the workforce early on and developing these demonstration projects and the research to make it successful. We are all at, you know, we are all at a, a place, you know, Mary Lynn, as you just said, in terms of education, you know, training the workforce and then training the students, the medical school, nursing school, social work, et cetera. I do believe in both those areas, we could, we, we need to continue to, to do that in, in a very um, sustainable way and, and in a very thoughtful way. I think we have a ways to go with that. Um, you like to share any information about Gee Wish and are we ever going back to Lords again? <laughs> Lords, you mean a CC? <laughs> oh, a CC, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so Gee Wish, we are very actively involved in some of the work that I just talked to you about. You know, our iSpec course, our next one is in October. It will be virtual um, still because of where we are with the COVID virus. And that's going to be October 14th and 15th online. And we uh, check our website out for applications. We'll be doing more mailings and, you know, would love if you would share that as well. Yeah, you just did. Um, we Yep. And, and we, we do um, the Assisi retreat every year for healthcare professionals. I want to, you know, let you know, it's not just for religious people. We get people from all over the world of many different backgrounds, atheists, agnostics, religious, not religious, cultural, you know, different, different specialties as well. It's, it's really, um, it's just an incredible journey. And we had one online again this year, but we are hope, hoping for next week, have a reservation in, in a CC for next uh, July. So we'll be sending that out as well. Wow. And then in terms of something I think that you both mentioned is how do we train our clinicians to be present, to be really present? So we have a program called Jewish Templeton Reflection Rounds that we've piloted in uh, about 18 medical schools. And a lot of people have integrated that into their settings. So we would love to do more with palliative care teams around reflection rounds. And I think that is one way uh, we focus on compassionate presence as a competency and how we can learn to both be heard in that compassionate way, uh, but also how to facilitate those groups so that we can work with medical students and nurses and nursing school and practitioners um, on how to teach through experience what it means to listen to someone at that deep level. A lot of qualitative research in what you do. Yes, yes. So, you know, I think um, you've mentioned, I mean, sort of how we can improve that. What do you kind of think in terms of for our students who are the leaders, things that they should be thinking about for the future and both in moving palliative care and in their leadership? I think what I would say to the future leaders is, and it depends where, what the leaders, what their expertise is. I, I think before we started recording, you told me that it's a pretty diverse student population that you're gonna have in this doctoral program. Mm -hmm. We certainly always need input and I'm always looking for policy leaders to teach us what it takes to create system change. 
um, and culture change. It takes a long time, I think, to to make it, even as we're thinking about generalist palliative care or around spiritual care, how do we have everybody within the system recognize that this is important and at some level change within themselves, but create change in a system? And then how do you make the policy leaders recognize that this is an important area? And again, within palliative care, there's been tremendous progress in that area. I think for those people that are inclined to do research, what does that look like? What else is needed within palliative care um, in terms of research and in terms of making the case? Again, palliative care has done, you know, this is since the 90s, the, the research work. So there's been incredible work, but what else is needed to, to, tell this, to, to tell the story from a research perspective? Communication. You know, we're still struggling over the word palliative. And there's always the, you know, is there a better way to speak about it? I love the word palliative, you know, to cloak someone. I think in, it, it just is, a, to me, a wonderful description of what we do in palliative care. But as, as people, as, as these future leaders are coming up, what do they think? You know, what do they think are the major communication messages? What, what are some of the areas where we haven't reached? What, for example, in, in medical and nursing school, we've made some progress, but not where any of us, I think, on this call think we should be. So in education, what, who are the educators in this group? And what will, what will their uh, contribution be to education in, in this area, both within palliative care and all its domains as well? Um, and anything payment structures, again, that always an, is an ongoing um, conversation. Again, uh, Diane Meyer and her group at CAPSI have done incredible work, but we're always struggling because I think the challenge to all of us, namely all the palliative care uh, practitioners such as myself, but also spiritual care is as we are moving to RVUs and other ways for financing, that becomes the predominant way to look at healthcare. And what happens when people are all of a sudden seeing patients in 10 minutes, right? Or in five minutes, what are they gonna to attend to? They're gonna prioritize as to what's important in that visit. So we, and, and what I see is so important in spiritual care, for example, we wanna make sure that spiritual distress is, is addressed and not seen as something that's not relevant. So I look to the students in your program to think of ways to um, make sure that suffering and spiritual distress and existential distress is in the front of people's mind, that palliative care is in the front. It's not, it's not optional. We need to think about creatively how to have the principles that we've taught for say 50 minute or one hour visits. How can that happen in a 15 minute visit? Yeah. And that is the crucial issue in training generalist palliative care professionals. Yeah. How did we, it is possible to do this in 15, 20 minutes. It's, we just have to think uh, strategically how to message that and how to say, there is something that should never be unaddressed. And that is pain, uh, emotional distress, uh, spiritual distress. Those are the things that should never be left unattended to regardless of how um, limited that visit may be. I just need to create a new course in the program and have you teach it basically. Nope, happy to do that. Okay, <laughs> Dr. Do Pachalski, thank you so much. This is- That's been great talking I'm to you. Talk great admirer of your work. You, you oh, did well, a wonderful job. You. I think I shared with you before that your talk on miracles was, well, oh, I'll always remember that because it was so impactful. So thank oh, you so much. And Tony, thank you too. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And, you know, good luck with this course. And if there's anything I can do, I'm always happy to help. Thank you so much. Talk to you both. Thank you.
I'd like to thank our guest today and Connie Dolan for the continuing journey in our podcast series titled Founders, Leaders, and Futurists in Palliative Care. I'd also like to thank you for listening to the Palliative Care Chat Podcast. This is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is copyright 2021 University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science, PhD, and Graduate Certificate Program in Palliative Care, or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.